Good afternoon, everybody. Welcome to church. My name is Alvin. For those of you here for the first time, it's always an honor when people come and choose to worship with us here at Nashville Life. So I hope you feel at home here. Um, good to see everybody else again. It's always good to see familiar faces. We uh, just finished a great weekend. I want to thank Tammy and her team and everyone for pulling off the Fall Family Fest. It was bigger and better than what we did last year. And I love seeing that excellence and that growth in our church and just seeing all the families out was great. We also had some awesome weather. We got good weather today, too. Thank you, God, for the beautiful weather. Uh, then next week, we have our serve day we're looking forward to. We're blessing uh, this community on Murfreesboro Pike, uh, Casablanca, and we will be there from 1030 to 2. But today and leading up until Saturday, we're still collecting some pantry items to my right. So if you can either drop off some pantry items or you can donate for us to go and buy some pantry items for this community. Um, if you go to your giving online, there's a drop down where you can give to missions. And everything that's given to missions, uh, we're pulling from that budget to be able to buy more pantry items so that everybody in the Casablanca community could get um, food and things they need. So if you want to be a part of that, it's not too late. Um, but yeah, we are always looking to make a difference in our city. And I just love what's been happening the past six months or so since we've been doing serve days monthly. It's just been great to see our engagement with this city around us grow. I'm looking forward to taking it to the next level. So thank you all for being a part. Looking forward to this coming Saturday. And then, of course, in addition to child dedications, which is always sweet, always fun, I'm looking forward to our water baptisms. We have had such a great response at Nashville Life. Um, I, would, I mean, I haven't looked at the exact numbers, but I would go as far to say definitely the most baptisms we've had in a year. Uh, at Nashville Life, but maybe even more than we've had in all the other years, like combined. Like, there's just been a great, a great miracle response to people getting baptized. So, if you want to jump in, literally, uh, you can uh, sign up and join us next week for our water baptism service at one o'clock. But I'm looking forward to today's message. Um, it's really blessed me, and I've enjoyed the first two services, and I'm excited to see what God has for this third service. So repeat these words after me. If you've been here, you, you already know. Uh, the word of God is the bread of life. May my heart conceive it and my life achieve it. In the name of Jesus, amen. Amen. All right. So the series for October is called Under Pressure. Under Pressure. And we're talking about how high-pressuring situations can be opportunities for you to grow personally, for God to be glorified more in your life, and for other people to be blessed through your life, which is really our goal here at Nashville Life. We want to glorify God. We want to make a difference in the lives of others. Uh, James chapter 1, verse 2 through 4 James chapter 1 has kind of been like our main scripture for this series. And it says, Count it all joy, my brothers, when you meet trials of various kinds, for you know that the testing of your faith produces steadfastness, and let steadfastness have its full effect, that you may be perfect and complete, 
lacking in nothing. I feel the need to give you guys a disclaimer that God is leading us towards perfection and completion, lacking nothing in him. That is his destination for us. That is his, his vision for us. So if you find yourself being called to something higher than the status quo or something higher than the friends and family around you, just know the Lord is calling you to perfection and completion in him. And he actually has the grace and the power to take you there. This scripture lets us know that the Lord is taking us there, but that road includes trials. It includes difficulty. It includes pressure. So we've covered pressures all this month. Three weeks ago, it was the pressure of conviction. And then two weeks ago, it was the pressure of trust. Last week was the pressure of courage, and today we are talking about the pressure of disappointment. Disappointment is something that we've all um, had to get acquainted with. Everyone in this room has been disappointed in one way or another. Some have been large disappointments. Some have been little disappointments. Uh, but regardless, disappointments come with life. And depending on how we respond to it can really determine uh, the way our lives go. I've seen disappointments really cause a wedge to be between that person and God. I heard someone once say that disappointment is the mother of bad theology. And I've seen people, they become disappointed and it's caused them to rethink things about God, and they start to believe things that are not scriptural, things that are harmful because of a disappointment that happened. But I've also seen disappointments be a vehicle for greater connection with God, greater knowledge of God, greater understanding of God, greater intimacy with God. Um, and I'm pray praying that disappointments for us can produce the latter effect. I'm praying that we learn from the word of how to take disappointing situations and use them as a way to build our connection and our intimacy with God. Uh, disappointments require expectations. You can't be disappointed if you didn't have an expectation somewhere in there. Um, the pressure of disappointment, this is what I have written, the pressure of disappointment is the collision between expectations and the reality you cannot control. The pressure of disappointment is when your expectations clash with a reality or the reality that you can't control. And it doesn't feel good. It's not fun for any of us. But um, the Lord can use it for his glory and our benefit if we learn how. Uh, God's word does give us things that we can't expect. God tells us things um, about himself that we can stand on. He's a promise keeper. He, he's trustworthy. He's good. He's faithful. He's a healer. He's a redeemer. These are things that we can expect from God. And the reason why they're valid expectations is because God communicated these expectations to us. Uh, uh, expectations without communication is what we call assumptions. Assumptions are expectations void of communication, void of information, and it really is unfortunate to any relationship, especially with God. And what I'm 
learning as I've been studying is God will allow disappointments to reveal our assumptions. God often allows disappointments to reveal our assumptions. Why does he want to reveal our assumptions? Because every assumption that you make about God is a conclusion that you've drawn about God without God. Assumption is when you take a matter that should involve more than one party and you take it upon yourself by yourself. And every area that we have an assumption about God, that's an area that God could have greater connection, greater intimacy with us. So he points out these assumptions because I guarantee you any assumption that you have about the Lord that he hasn't communicated, you formed on your own. And things that you form on your own in a relationship are bad. (laughs) Because relationships take more than one, right? And assumptions is when you take it upon yourself. So God will allow and he does allow disappointments to reveal those areas that we have not gone to him and have uh, drawn conclusions or formed expectations without his involvement. For instance, uh, God tells you, I am a helper. I'm your helper. That's the truth. You can expect God to be a helper. And then you uh, are driving to work one day and you get a flat tire. And you find yourself disappointed with God. And the reason why you're disappointed is because, God, you told me that you were a helper. And God goes, well, you know, I I am a helper. But what happens is that disappointment with God over that flat tire revealed an assumption that you had made about what his help looks like. So the person who's disappointed with God about the flat tire, they say God was a helper, and that means if God was a helper, that means he would prevent me from ever getting a flat tire. That shows that that person's assumption was that God's help means preventing me from a flat tire. God never said you would never get a flat tire, but he said that he would help you. But when you have assumptions, you start to form your own conclusion about what that means. Meanwhile, God says, I will help you with your flat tire by helping send AAA to come to you and make sure that you get help and that you get safely to work. So that was help, but it wasn't help the way that you assumed that it would come. And it causes you to miss God and for God to miss you and for there to be these uh, collisions when all along there's assumptions that were, that were tucked underneath these expectations. Assumptions are expectations without communication, and it really can harm our relationship with God. An example of this is a man named Job. I'm going to talk about Job. Job is a man who uh, went through disappointments, and his disappointments revealed certain assumptions that needed to be dealt with for his sake and for the, relation, for the sake of his relationship with God. Job was a a great man. He was a very righteous man. The Bible called him blameless. He was obedient to God. He was faithful in worship. And he was also a very rich man. He had a lot of land. He had a lot of property. He had a lot of livestock. And he was blessed with a lot of children. And he was very wealthy and prosperous and very righteous. And he was so righteous that it caused some controversy in heaven. And Satan actually went to God and accused 
Job of only worshiping God because he had so much prosperity and God had blessed him so much. And the accusation from, the, from Satan was the only reason why Job is worshiping, worshiping you is because you give him so much stuff and that you've blessed him with, with so much wealth. I bet, if you, I bet if he didn't have any of that wealth, if he didn't have any of that prosperity, he wouldn't worship you. And God disagreed. God had faith in Job's righteousness and in Job's heart, and he believed that he and Job had more than just a transactional relationship. So to prove that, he allowed the enemy to come into Job's life and to remove a lot of blessings, with the exception of his life. He says, you can't take his life, but I will let you uh, remove uh, the, the blessings that I've given him. And that's exactly what happened, y'all. It was, I mean, it's intense when you read it. It happened so fast, too. I just cannot imagine how humanly possible uh, you can go through something like this, but all the land that he had was taken away. His his property, his servants died. His his livestock, his cattle, everything that he had to his name, uh, just about was taken from him. And what's the most harmful and most hurtful were his all of his children. All of his children, they were all on the same roof, and 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 they tragically died. It was a freak accident, and they all died at the same time. And Job, within moments, went from having so much prosperity, so many blessings to having nothing. And on top of that, y'all, he, he got this disease. He was getting boils on his skin. So he was also suffering in his health, and his marriage was a, was a mess because she was mad at God and mad at him. And there was just a lot of grief. And it happened so intensely, and it happened so quickly. The Bible says Job tore his clothes, and he, he actually shaved his head. That's how badly he was grieving him, y'all. He was struggling, and rightfully so. I, can't, I would not wish that level of loss and misfortune on my worst enemy, and all of it happened to Job. So Job was disappointed, to say the least. He was perplexed. He had a lot of questions. Um, his friends were perplexed because his friends saw this happen. They saw how much he had and how much was taken away so quickly. So everybody was, was kind of freaked out by it all. It was like, this is, this is weird. This is a lot. So they had questions. And they went to, uh, you know, they, they, they talked questions amongst themselves. They contemplated questions in their mind, and some of them they brought to God. And I want to talk really quickly on questions here. Questions, there's sometimes a lot of controversy about questions in church and like, is it right to ask God questions or is it right to, you know, as long as we don't know it all, guys, we have every right and ability to ask God questions. If you don't understand something, I don't want anyone to feel scared or, or unworthy to ask God a question. Asking God questions just mean that you need help. And we all need help, and we're not going to understand everything. It's totally okay to go to your Father in heaven and ask a question or two or a million for you very curious people. Uh, asking questions is good until you start answering them for him. That's when questions get weird. Questions are pointless if you've already determined the answer. 
And that's where, that's why questioning or questions uh, have gotten a bad rap because it's one thing to ask God a question because you want to know something. It's another thing to question God as if you are the judge and he is on the witness stand. Very different experiences. One is pure curiosity and wanting to grow and learn. The other one is an act of pride saying, I know the answer and I, just, I want to basically catch you in a lie. I want to catch you in something that is not right. Two very different spirits. Asking questions are good until you have already determined the answer and you bring in that word again, assumptions. So Job had questions. He had assumptions. Job's friends had assumptions. Let's, let's just cover both of their perspectives. Let's start with Job's friends, the ones who witnessed all of this loss that happened to their friend Job. I have two scriptures that I'm going to read together. One is Job chapter 8, verse 6, and the other one is Job 22, verse 23. And I'm going to read them back to back. This is what Job's friends said to Job. If you were pure and upright, surely now he would awake for you and prosper your rightful dwelling place. If you return to the Almighty, you will be built up. You will remove iniquity far from your tents. So Job's friend's assumption was God is blameless, therefore Job is in sin. God is too good. He is perfect. He doesn't make mistakes. So if all this misfortune is happening to you, then you must be doing something wrong, Job. There must be some secret sin in your life. There must be some iniquity. There must be some impurity in your life because really the underlying assumption under this is bad things don't happen to righteous people. That's the assumption they're working with. Since bad things don't happen to people who do the right thing and bad things are happening to you, Job, you must be doing the wrong thing and it's time for you to repent. They were partially right, but also very wrong at the same time. The part they were right about is God is blameless. He is perfect. He is righteous. He makes no mistakes. But the mistake was when they assumed that since Job had lost all that he had lost, that it was a product of his sin. It was because of sin. And they were wrong. It was actually the opposite. It was actually Job's righteousness that got him into this trouble. The whole conversation started because Job was obedient and Job was worshiping all the time. So it was the opposite. But that's what happens, guys, when we inflict our standard of the way things should be and we assume that God has the same ones. So when things fall short of our standard of perfection and our standard of what is good and what is right, we assume that it falls short of God's standards as well. And when we mix our way with God, God's way and we assume that just because something doesn't look right to us that it's wrong to God, it creates problems. We see this in John chapter 9. There's, a one, there's one time where the disciples and Jesus saw a, a boy who was boy, born blind. He was born blind. And the disciples went to Jesus and said, which one of these uh, which one of this boy's parents sinned that caused him to be born blind? 
they had assumed that since he was born blind, this must be a product of one of his parents' sin. I mean, that's, a, that's, a, that's an assumption. God never told them that. In fact, Jesus says it's not from any of his parents' sin. The reason why this boy is blind is so the power of God can be shown. It's because this boy is blind that I can now heal him and show you all the power of God. See how different the perspective is of what Jesus, how Jesus saw this blind boy and how his disciples saw the blind boy? We have to make sure that we don't inflict and impose what makes sense to us and think that this is the same as what God is thinking. Let's move to Job. Let's talk about Job's assumption. Job chapter 9, verse 17 Job says in verse 17, talking about God, Job says, For he crushes me with a tempest and multiplies my wounds without cause. Job's assumption was, I'm blameless, therefore God is not just. Which is essentially the same thing. Sad things happening to good people is wrong. Bad things happening to righteous people is wrong. Something wrong was done for this to happen. Both Job and his friends are determined that something is wrong. Only the friends are saying it's Job's fault, and Job is saying it's God's fault. Job was partially right as well in saying that he was blameless. The Bible says God called him blameless. He was righteous. He was obedient to God. So he was right about that. But Job assumed a level of righteousness so high that without even realizing it, he had placed his righteousness higher than God's. Guys, we have to be careful when we go to God with that I've done everything right attitude and I've, I've, I, I did everything, everything you told me. When we, when we go to God with that in our grief, when we're in, and I'm talking about when we're really in that emotional state of grief, when, it's, when, it's, when you're really disappointed and you're vulnerable, you have to make sure that in the midst of your grief, when you, when you come to God with that I've done everything right attitude, what it does is it cracks this little door open and this argument comes in that door that sounds a little bit like this. I'm not saying you messed up, God, but I know I didn't. I'm not saying that it's your fault, God, but I know it's not mine. And we end up playing this game. And before we know this, this accusation, this implication, we start insinuating that God failed us. And it creates an open door to some real bad theology that unless you repent, you'll start going down a road that you don't want to go down. So, so God decided to respond to Job's uh, cry, to his disappointment, and to his assumptions. And this is how he came. Job 38 Job chapter 38, verse 1 through 2. Verse 1 through 2. Then the Lord answered Job out of the whirlwind and said, 
Who is this who darkens counsel by words without knowledge? That's really how you can define assumptions, words without knowledge. Conclusions without information. Expectations without communication. Words without knowledge. Talking even though you don't know what you're talking about. Y'all, sometimes the most righteous thing to say is, I don't know. Sometimes that's the most holy thing to say, but some of us, we feel the need to draw a conclusion. We must make sense of it, and even though I don't know all the information, I am going to speak a conclusion. Words without knowledge, we can't do that, guys, or we shouldn't at least. Verse 3 through 5, now prepare yourself, God says, like a man, I will question you and you shall answer me. Where were you? When I laid the foundation of the earth, tell me, if if you have understanding, tell me, who determined its measurements? Surely you know. God is graciously putting Job in his place. In the midst of his grief, he had still stepped out of place. And God was gracious enough to remind him who he was as God and who Job was not. Verse uh, 8 of chapter 40. We're moving to Job 40, verse 8. Job 40, verse 8. Would you indeed annul my judgment, God says? Would you condemn me that you may be justified? Guys, I like to be right. I don't think there's anybody in this room that would say they don't enjoy being right. But do we want to be right so badly that we're willing to make God wrong? My question to you is, are you willing to, are we, I should say, willing to justify ourselves at the expense of God's goodness? Are we willing to protect our rightness above God's rightness? Are we willing to put him and his character on the chopping block before we're willing to put ourselves? Are we willing to justify ourselves at the expense of God's perfection, of God's kindness, of his character? Job's disappointment revealed an assumption. It revealed a degree of pride. It revealed a a degree of entitlement. When you think that something being taken away from you is an act of injustice, you reveal that you have forgotten that every single thing you have is undeserved anyway. Do we realize, I I say do we realize even though I know the answer and we don't. Every breath that we take is an act of mercy. Every breath that we take is God doing us an undeserved favor. 
And that's just the, the oxygen in our lungs, not to mention the clothes on our back, not to mention our homes, not to mention our cars, not to mention our families, our relationships, our talents, the income that we have. Lord Jesus, forgive us. Every single thing that you have in this very moment is undeserved. You want to talk about justice? Justice is the wages of sin is death. And last time I checked, all of us in here have sinned. So if you are really a, a policeman for what's fair, then grace is totally outside of what's fair. Grace is us getting what we don't deserve. Our lives don't deserve grace. We don't deserve a life. We don't deserve a relationship with God. We don't deserve eternity in heaven. We have it, but we don't deserve it. And nothing reveals that more or nothing challenges that more than entitlement. And when we start to think that our lives and the things that we have are a product of what we deserve and what, what life owes us and what God owes us, it creates problems instead of seeing all of it. All of it is a gift. I don't deserve anything I have, guys. I don't deserve an ounce of what I have. Oh, but Alvin, you're a good person. Want to bet? The Bible's Jesus says nobody is good but God. So I don't care how much I obey him. I don't care how much I, I follow his word. I don't care how much I give and, and sow into the kingdom of God. Every blessing is an undeserved gift. And I believe in principles, and I do believe if you sow, you'll reap. But guys, even when I sow, my reaping is not what I deserve. It is by the grace of God. And sometimes it takes disappointments like this to open our eyes to, oh, man, I didn't realize it, but there was some entitlement in there. I didn't realize that there were some pretty strong assumptions about, about myself and about God. And, and, and it was as, as much as I hate that Job had to go through the level of grief, I'll tell you, I would not wish it on my worst enemy. I hate that he had to experience it, but... But y'all, some pretty amazing things came from this pressure of disappointment. And I want to continue to talk about it. Verse, verse 5 through 6 of, no, I'm sorry, Job chapter 42. We'll start from the beginning of Job chapter 42. Job chapter 42, verse 1 through 3, and then we'll be done. Job answered the Lord and said, I know that you can do everything. I didn't read it this way before, but what I'm seeing now is, God, you can do whatever you want. <laughs> and that no purpose of yours can be withheld from you. You asked, who is, the, who is this who hides counsel without knowledge? Therefore, Job says, I have uttered what I do not understand, things too wonderful for me, which I did not know. Job admitted that in his grief, in his vulnerable place of pain, 
he assumed a little bit more credit and power than what was appropriate for him to assume. He, he, he got a little, he, he crossed the line. He, he, he thought a bit, the Bible says we shouldn't think more of ourselves than we ought, right? In, in, in his grief, he started to think a little bit, and he realized, oh, I stepped somewhere I wasn't supposed to step. Oh, this is too wonderful for me. I, I started talking like I knew what I was talking about when there's a whole lot that I don't understand, and I overstepped. He humbled himself. It is important for us to learn how to grieve without pointing the finger and blaming. Healthy grief is grief without blame. I can't talk a whole lot on it for time, but healthy grief is grief without blame. Blame is a form of control. And as long as you can blame, it, it, it's, 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 a self, it, it's a self-healing. And as long as we are healing ourselves with our own mechanisms, it, it prevents God from being able to heal the way that he heals. I know it's very deceptive. I've been there. Blame can really feel like it's lessening the pain. It can really make you feel like you still have a little bit of control in the matter. And I get it. It's more vulnerable to bring your full pain, holding nothing back and casting it all on the Lord who cares for you. And allowing him to heal you in his way without the tools that you've learned along the years. We must learn to grieve without blame. Verse 5 of Job 42. Job says, I have heard of you. This is my favorite part. I have heard of you by the hearing of the ear, but now... My eye sees you, therefore I abhor myself and repent in dust and ashes. So Job repents. But guys, this is why we have to count it all joy when this stuff happens. Because according to the scripture, Job says, before this moment, I only heard God with my ears. But for the first time, I can see you with my eye. Now, if you've been at Nashville Life a while, you've heard me talk about the way we see God is not through these eyes, but through the eyes of our heart. And as long as our hearts are impure, we can't see God. The Bible says, blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. Perhaps, just perhaps, this disappointment and this tragic experience that, that Job experienced was the very thing to show him that there were some impurities in his heart. Impurities that were keeping him from actually seeing God for who he is. And it wasn't until this, this rebuke from God and this, this conviction and this repentance that his heart was finally free. And he was able for the first time, he says, before this moment, I only heard you, but now I can see you. And my question to us is, do we really want to see God? Do we really want God to lead us in a way and go through the things and the, the sanctification and the, the pruning and the, the issues and the rebukes and the transformation that it takes for our hearts to be pure? And we can echo what Job is saying. I, I've heard stories about you, 
Before this moment, I just knew you through sermons. I just knew you through things I, you know, but now I can see you. Y'all, that revelation only happens when your heart is changed. Job had a change of heart. And as much as I wish the Lord can change our heart through different ways, it's through the trials. It's in the valley. It's in the grief where God can do a level of work in your heart and pull out those things that were blinding you. I wrote this. Repentance from pride will remove your assumptions, opening the eyes of your heart to the truth of who God is and who you are not. It's a long sentence, but I'm going to say it again. Repentance from pride will remove your assumptions, opening the eyes of your heart to the truth of who God is and who you are not. Many of us need our eyes to be open. But God has to deal with some assumptions that you've made over the years. Some, some wrong beliefs that disappointment has taught you to believe about yourself and about God. It's not fun, but man, is it necessary. Job 42, 12 through 17. This is how it ends. It says, now the Lord blessed, after he repented, the Lord blessed the latter days of Job more than his beginning, for he had 14,000 sheep, 6,000 camels, 1,000 yoke of oxen, and 1,000 female donkeys. He also had seven sons and three daughters, and he called the name of the first Jemima, the name of the second Keziah, and the name of the third Karen Hapok, and all the land were found no women so beautiful as the daughters of Job, and their father gave them an inheritance among their brothers. After this, Job lived 140 years and saw his children and grandchildren for four generations, so Job died old and full of days. <laughs> Hallelujah. We clap louder for that last part. We love the blessings of God. I love the blessings of God. I love his gifts. I love his favor. I love the things I have, and I enjoy it. But Lord, dare I ever love what God gives more than the giver? Dare I love what he's created more than him? More, dare I, forgive me, for God forbid that I ever love his blessings more than him. As much as I'm so happy that Job's whole life was restored and he got everything back and his life was, it ended beautifully. To me, the greatest miracle was verse 5, where he said, I have heard of you by the hearing of the ear, but now my eye sees you. The challenge for us today 
is to have God do a work in our hearts where seeing him outweighs any blessing that he could ever give us. Knowing him, seeing him is a greater miracle, gets you more excited than anything he could ever give. And I'm not saying you can't enjoy and, and appreciate his blessings, but the greatest blessing is being able to see God. And the way the story is written, the greatest blessing happened before everything in his life was restored. The climax of the story was in the middle of the grief, in the middle of the valley, in the middle of the pain. That was the climax of the story. And yes, he was restored some great blessings, but none of those blessings outweighed the moment where he got to see God for the first time. I'm gonna pray. Father, in Jesus' name, Lord, we come to you like Job, God, we repent for any entitlement, any assumptions. Lord, forgive us for speaking words without knowledge, drawing conclusions without information, determining things about you without you. Instead of waiting for an answer from you, we've determined answers on our own. And it's caused us to venture into territory that we were not called to venture in. It's caused us to assume a level of control you've never called us to. So, Father, we repent like Job. Purify our hearts from any entitlement any pride, any control, any assumptions. Lord, we want to see you. We need to see you, God. Open the eyes of our heart. We want to see you. We need to see you. Lord, for those of us who are grieving in this time, any disappointment, big or small. Your word says to cast all of our cares on you. Lord, we hold nothing back. We hold no pain for ourselves to keep. Lord, we pour it all out on you. The greater the pain, the more we need to pour out. Lord, teach us to depend on you. We throw away all of our defense mechanisms, all the things that we've done to, to numb the pain or medicate the pain or, or cope with the pain, God, and we just pour it all out on you, God. You are the healer. You are the only one who can heal our hearts. You're the only one who can restore our soul from the grief and the disappointments. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. I'm going to ask us to stand. I'm going to lead us in a prayer.
Jesus is the healer. He is the balm in Gilead. He has the ability to cleanse your life from the greatest grief, to heal your heart from the greatest disappointments. No one can do it like Jesus. And if you confess his lordship over your life, his Holy Spirit will come into your heart and bit by bit, step by step, area by area, topic by topic, he will do a cleansing work in a way that will purify your heart, purify your life. You'll feel, it, you'll feel brand new. It might not be pretty, it might not be fun, but man, it's necessary. And if you are hungry for healing, and if you've got questions, God is not afraid of your questions. He just wants to talk to you. He wants to connect with you. He wants to know you. He wants to be close with you. So if you want that too, the Bible says it starts with a confession and a belief in your heart. That's where it starts. So let's make that start today. If you are ready to start, restart, let's, let's pray this prayer together. Let's, let's all say it together. Say, Heavenly Father, in the name of Jesus, I confess that Jesus Christ is the Son of God. I believe that he died on the cross for my sins and was raised from the dead on the third day. Forgive me of my sins. Make me a new person in Christ. Lord Jesus, I choose you to be the Lord of my life. Fill me with the Holy Spirit so I can live for you every day. In the name of Jesus, I pray. Let's all say amen together. Amen. Praise God. If you're on the prayer team, now's a chance to get in position. We have people who are here to pray for you. If you need prayer of any kind before you walk out, Please don't hesitate. It could be salvation related. It could be healing related. It could just be something going on in your life. This team, they love God and they love you and you are not inconveniencing them. They would love to pray. So on your way out, please don't hesitate. This team is here for you. You can also text the word BELONG to 77411. It's a great way to connect with us for whatever, finding things that we're doing in the church, getting involved, or just having someone reach out to you and let them know that letting you know that, 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 that they love you. Text belong, and we are here for you. We want to connect. You can also give online. You can give by texting Nashville Life to 77411, or our team can serve you in the lobby. And we have a giving box out our open doors that are now open for if you guys want to walk out that way too. Shout out to those in the back in the balcony. Enjoy those doors. Um, I pray y'all have a great rest of the day. It's a beautiful weather day, so have a good one and allow the Lord to continue to work in your heart. He's got big things for all of us. I hope to see y'all next week. Have a great one. Love you.